Well, good morning. Thank you for that encouragement, Bill. As we go through difficult times in our world, leadership is what allows us to survive. God uses the leadership of men and women throughout our world and even in our nation and our culture to guide us through the most difficult and challenging times. That's also true in the church. That church leadership is responsible, anointed by God, to do what it is that God desires to do through leaders, and that is to help people to get through the difficult and challenging things that we deal with on a regular basis. Now, I will tell you that over this last year, year and a half, it has been challenging to be a church leader not just here, but throughout the world. Being a church leader meant that people were looking to us to try to tell them what the best course of action was to take and whether to gather or not to gather and how to gather. And we just didn't have any of the answers. I was going to say all the answers. We don't have any of the answers. God has all the answers. Amen. And we've looked to the Lord to guide us and to direct us. But the thing that I have really, really been struck by over this last year or so is that you, you have to step up to the plate as a leader, look for God's guidance, and then lead. And when there are challenging things going on in our world, leadership is what gets us through. When there are challenging things happening in the church, leadership is what allows us to survive. Where there hasn't been the leadership necessary for certain churches and ministries, those ministries and churches have unfortunately died in many cases. And where there has been the leadership, really God's leadership, working through church leaders and pastors, the ministries have flourished. So you see the difference between being led of the Spirit and not being led of the Spirit. We've certainly looked for the Lord to lead us. Now, one of the things that I am I'm really struck by in our text today, in Acts chapter 11, is that the church was faced, as we've seen over the last few weeks, with a very challenging moment. The Gentiles were being welcomed by the Spirit as Gentiles into the church. It was rocking the boat. It was causing the church to have an identity crisis, because it had been a Jewish church where the idea was this. You, you were a Jew. You were already circumcised. You... you Receive baptism, water baptism, the baptism of John, or, or the baptism of Jesus and his disciples through their ministry, or the apostles afterward, and, and then you were a Christian. So there was this sort of process that people generally were following where you became a Jew in order to become a Christian. But things have changed. The Holy Spirit has decided through his infinite mercy and love that there's no need for Gentiles to become Jews in order to become Christians. But Peter is the one that God used to bring this about. Now, we've seen it over the last few weeks. We've seen how God worked and how uncomfortable Peter was with this change and how uncomfortable those around him and even the Gentiles were with this change. But we're about to see that Peter's good and godly leadership as a spirit-filled believer is what allowed the church to go from a period of conflict and difficulty into what God had called the church to ultimately become a church for all mankind. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
We look to you now for you to guide us, and we want Peter's example to touch our hearts and to lead us and to show us the kind of leaders that we should be, whether it's church leaders or whether it's even leaders within our our homes or leaders in this world. We, We want to be the kind of leaders that honor you with our lives. And Lord, we need that example. We thank you for using Peter mightily in this way and him becoming that example for us to follow as he followed you. Lord, bless us, we pray, and thank you so much for our fellowship. Thank you so much for the children's ministry. Thank you so much, Lord, for our worship ministry and our setup ministry and all those that work and labor by the Spirit to bring about these services every week, twice a week. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, one of my favorite moments in the service is when I'm in the back and I see people coming in. Uh, Some not on time, but we won't go there. (laughs) And I see people coming in, and I'll tell you, it's an exciting moment as a pastor to see people coming together for worship. At least it is for me. And and can you imagine, though, if, if one of us or one of our leaders was standing at the back door and we stopped you at the door and we said, have you been baptized? (laughs) Or worse. (laughs) I'm not even going to go there. Are you a Jew? Or are you a Gentile? Can you imagine if our approach was that you had to sort of hit a checklist and then we would let you in? Well, at one point in the church, that was what was happening because the church came out of Judaism. This is the moment in church history where it all hits the fan. This is the moment where everyone has to think, what is God doing? And am I comfortable with it? Here's what happened. Peter returned to Jerusalem after preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And this is what we read in chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, you knew this was coming, right? I mean, Peter, we've seen it over the last few weeks. Peter was uncomfortable with what God had called him to do. And now he knows he goes back to Jerusalem. He's going to get called out on the carpet. He's going to have to deal with all of the change resistance that we as Christians always have to deal with in the church. I have learned over the last 35 years of ministry that one of the most dangerous things to the church internally is change resistance. There are things that should never change that unfortunately many times are changed, like the preaching of the word, like the worship of God, like the, the, de, the demand for personal holiness as taught through the word. There are things that should not change, and yet there are so many things that need to change. And let's just say it this way. Most of the, what needs to change has to do with us. See, that's the thing. God doesn't change. Amen? He's not a man that he should change. He doesn't change his mind. But we are here specifically to be changed. Can I hear an Amen. You're here to be changed into the image of Christ. That is going to require things changing and you becoming uncomfortable along the way. This is a pivotal moment. 
Peter had the benefit, as we'll see, of God directly guiding him. The church is going to have to take it based on Peter's testimony that this was a God thing, even though, for the most part, many of them were uncomfortable with what God was doing. So these Jewish believers in Jerusalem heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. This is a big deal. News of Peter's ministry to the Gentiles had spread from Caesarea to Jerusalem and throughout Judea. People are talking about, did you hear that Peter ministered to Gentiles? That he actually entered their homes, ate with them, which was like ridiculously insane in the mind of a Jew. And that they received the word of God, that they received the Holy Spirit. There were water baptism and not a one was circumcised. This is a big deal. He's severely criticized by the Jewish believers for associating with Gentiles. One of the things you're going to have to get used to is that many times in the church, and I pray it never happens here, that when you follow the Lord's leading and it's something other than others are comfortable with, you will be criticized. As leaders, it goes with the territory. Early on, I, I remember being criticized for some of the things that I, that I thought in terms of mechanics of ministry, not so much what I believed, but doing things a little differently or being open to things being done differently means that you're going to be subject to criticism. No one else had dared to preach the gospel to the Gentiles until the Lord called Peter. The apostles were ministering primarily to the Jews in Jerusalem. This was a Jerusalem church, mostly. And we know Philip, of course, had been called to minister in Samaria. And then later, Peter and John went to Samaria. But Samaritans had Jewish heritage, though they were not Jews per se. They were a separate subgroup. Philip had also ministered to an Ethiopian, but he was a convert. He was a Jew. And then he later ministered to Jews in Azotus and Caesarea, the very city where Peter had been called to minister to Gentiles. So though this had become uh, more and more diverse, a movement of God's spirit, it was still a Jewish church. Now we know Saul had ministered to Jews in Damascus. Then he later came to Jerusalem. Peter had ministered to Jews in Lydda and Joppa. This move of the spirit is branching out. Things are changing, but this is a pivotal moment. These Jews clearly believed that Gentiles must become Jews in order to be saved. And there are people today who believe that in order to become a Christian, there are certain things you must do. And the truth is, it's not about doing, it's about being. You you see, the idea is that Christ has done all the work, amen? And we, by faith, believe in him and his finished work on the cross, and as a result, we're saved. There are still some today who think that's not enough. But this is what was happening here. They considered it unlawful for Jews to associate with uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter even said as much in our previous studies. Peter had stayed in an impure and unclean home. That was against their traditions, their laws. Not against the word of God. It was against their interpretation of the word of God. And he had eaten impure and unclean food. And the truth is, yes, the dietary laws that Moses gave the Jews were enforced under Judaism. But you and I, we need to understand something. God reserves the right to change things like dietary laws. And I think this is where we get confused. The law of God never changes. The law of Moses in in terms of dietary restrictions has changed. In fact, let's go back to the beginning. 
Let's go back to the very beginning in the garden. Adam and Eve were called to eat what? All of the fruit of the garden. They were not allowed or called to eat animals. So they were vegetarians or maybe vegans. They, they, they did not eat animals. Then something happened. They were banished from the garden. And then evil spread throughout the earth. And then God brought a flood. And when Noah and his family left the ark, they were told specifically that they should eat animals. That animal protein was now a part of their diet. And for a long time, there were no dietary restrictions beyond the obvious. And, and, and then the law was given for the people of Israel, because they were living among other groups of people, they were specifically given dietary laws. And some of these laws just make a whole lot of sense. For example, pork. Nowadays, if you choose to eat pork, pork is pretty clean. I don't like to eat pork. Occasionally I will, to be honest, but I don't generally do. But here's what I know. If it's not prepared properly, you can die. Shellfish, which I happen to love. If it's harvested in the wrong season or at the wrong time of year or not prepared properly, you can die. So what God did was give them these restrictions to keep them healthy. Those were laws that had more to do with health than being spiritual. Are you with me? Nothing unspiritual about having shrimp. Okay, I hope not. So... The real issue is God protecting his people. Now, at this point, it's not so much about eating things that are impure or unclean. It's about being open to the work of God. God is not saying you have to eat those things. But one of the things you have to do is you have to be open to being with people who might eat those things. And that's what's happening now. And this is a big change. They had gotten stuck in their stuff. Have you ever met someone, or perhaps you've been that person, who's been stuck in their stuff? It usually sounds like this. In the, in the corporate world, we call it paradigm changes. Fancy word for, we've always done it this way. It's always the, but we've always done it this way. And when you get stuck in the, we've always done it this way, oftentimes what happens is God can't work in the church. Most movements of the Holy Spirit die within a generation because God is working in one particular way. And then the new generation comes up and God begins to work in a different way. And the previous generation says, well, God doesn't work that way. And within two or three generations, the churches that refuse to change are gone, empty, selling their buildings to churches from the next generations. And it's not because there's anything wrong with that church as much as it is they just refuse to change with the Holy Spirit's leading. Again, there are things that should never change. But there are some things that need to change. I'll give you a couple of examples. In our generation, worship music has been transformed radically. I mean, probably the most obvious change over the last 50 years is worship music. Now, I want you to think about it because you might say, well, the organ is sanctified. The pipe organ. And, and they have a lovely pipe organ in this sanctuary. We don't use it. But the organ is sanctified or the piano is sanctified but the guitar or the synthesizer is not. You could, you could say that. You'd be wrong, but you could say that, right? Okay, here's the problem with that. Do you know that the piano didn't always exist, right? The organ didn't always exist. In fact, the organ predated the piano and the harpsichord, those things. So what did they worship before the piano and the organ and even the harpsichord or the clavichord? What did they worship? Well, would it surprise you to know that David worshiped on what? 
a stringed instrument. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's not so much about the instrumentation as it is your heart. Now, here's the thing. You could, you, you could worship God to kettle drums. You could worship God with all of your heart, with any instrument, really, any instrument. I think the bagpipes might be an exception, but I'm not sure. Because it sounds and looks like you're skinning a cat. But all kidding aside, understand that it's not about that. So what happened in the church over the last several decades is churches began to adopt a more, con- what they say, contemporary, contemporary worship style, most. And the churches that didn't almost don't exist anymore. But in the beginning of my journey as a person of faith, as a Christian, there were still a lot of churches that you can't play guitar in church. You know, it has to be sacred music. I even went to a seminar, I've shared this before, where this person had the audacity to suggest that if you accent the second and the fourth beat of a 4-4 measure, it's satanic. And that if you accent the first and the third, it's sacred. Now, for those of you who are musicians, you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, don't worry about it. It's just wrong. So that's just one example. How about casual dress? What, what if, just say what if, we all had to be in suits and ties or dresses and hats. And if you want to dress like that, you can certainly. But what if that was like we held you at the door and we said, I'm sorry, miss, you're wearing jeans. But you know something like 30, 40 years ago, I can't tell you how many women came to me and said, I stopped going to that church because I wore jeans and they wouldn't let me in or pants, or slacks. You had to wear a dress as a woman. So you see, that's an example, the two examples I've given, of what happens when you refuse to change as the Holy Spirit leads change in the church. There are many others, but that's just two. Do those things matter? No, they don't. But they can become uh, detrimental to the work of the Spirit. They can prevent the work of the Spirit if you're not willing to change as the Spirit leads. So here's the thing. They considered it unlawful to do what Peter had done. Peter had stayed in an unclean home, eaten impure and unclean food. And listen, the Holy Spirit constantly works in the church to bring about flexibility and change. We need to be open to that. Because change is threatening to those that find comfort in control, order, and predictability. So remain flexible. Those who embrace change will often be criticized and misunderstood, and that is exactly what happened to Peter. I want to read the whole section now. This is a recap of what we talked about for the last two weeks. And then I want to comment on a a few elements that have to do with Peter's good and godly leadership in this very challenging situation. And as we look at this account, I want you to stop and ask yourself the question, what if Peter had handled it poorly? What if Peter had not dealt with this properly. What damage could have been inflicted on the early church simply because he didn't exemplify good and godly leadership? Let's read. I'm going to start in verse 4 and read down to verse 17. So it's pretty much the whole section. This is familiar if you've been here for the last two weeks. Uh, It says, Peter began. Now remember, they've just said that, they just criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And this is true. But Peter began, now notice, and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet or sail 
being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was, and I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and and then it was pulled up to heaven again. And right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. And these six brothers, and he's pointing to six who were with him at the moment, these six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. (laughs) I like that. In other words, I'm not the only one. (laughs) He told us how. He had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? That is such an important statement because do you realize by being change resistant in the church, you could actually oppose God? What if, let we go back 50 years, and what if someone, a worship leader, was led of the Spirit, I'm going to play the guitar this morning. I know we've always led worship with piano or organ, but... We're going to lead in with guitar. And people stood up and said, that, you can't do that. And the church had a meeting, and they voted, and the worship leader lost his job. What if that happened? I'm sure it happened at least once or twice <laughs> in human history. So what if that happened? What would have happened is those church members would be opposing God. They would have opposed God if that worship leader, we assume, was led of the Spirit to do such a thing. What if drum, oh, drums, remember when drums were first sort of introduced? The Pentecostals got out on the beginning of this. They brought drums in pretty early, thank God. And, you know, then the other churches started to say, you, 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 maybe we could do drums. You know, nothing crazy, no cymbals. And, and, and slowly but surely, you know, what I saw at the church I was going to is that, you know, they had piano, they had guitar, and I, I played bass, uh, among other things. And I remember going up to them and saying, hey, would you like a bass player? And, you know, they didn't really, you know, I, I think the reason was I wasn't where I was supposed to be at the time. And shortly after that, I got my life together in certain areas. And it was funny, the worship leader came to me and said, how would you like to play bass? And it was a week after a guest worship leader came in with a bass player. And I thought that was kind of God's timing. And then we got a drummer. And I even remember one time I led worship, you ready for this? With a guy by the name, a Greek guy by the name of Dionysus who played the bazooki. If you don't know what a bazooki is, Google it. A bazooki, not a bazooka. Some of you are thinking a bazooka? No, a bazooki. And you know what was great? It was the strangest, awesomest thing that I ever heard in worship because it was different. Some of you know I play five-string bluegrass banjo, and occasionally the worship leaders will ask me to to play up here, and some of you guys like it. Some of you don't say you don't. (laughs) But 
what's wonderful, last week we had guitar, I was playing acoustic, and, and Russ was playing the mandolin. And I thought to myself, boy, this is fun. It's fun. Are mandolins okay in church? I hope so. And, and you know, we do things differently. You'll notice this morning was just keyboards and, and, and guitar, right? It's a little different than usual, right? No drums. Oh, my goodness, what's wrong? Is the drummer sick? No. Sometimes it's just fun to do things a little differently. If you're not open to doing things a little differently, you could oppose God. I'm not saying you are. I, I'm saying you could find yourself opposing God. So what are you going to do? Well, here's what we learned. And, and th- that's a recap of everything we talked about over the last two weeks. So I'm not going to go into it in ex- explicit detail, but I want to stop and I want to give you some understanding. Look at verse four again. It says Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. It didn't say Peter said, shut up. I'm an apostle. Get back in line. It didn't say, where were you when Christ rose from the dead and we ate with him? He, he didn't say, you, you talking to me? Are you talking? Are you talking to me? No, it was none of that. It was simple. It was a a, a wonderful, patient explanation by a leader who was acting in a good and godly way. And I want to give you a few observations. This is is pretty cool. I think it is, at least. Seven, Seven observations. And they're not complicated, but let's take a moment, sort of breathe it in, sort of understand what happened here. Peter did not allow the criticism of these Jews to undermine his leadership as an apostle. Now listen, I think most of you have guessed by now where I stand politically. But here's the problem with leadership on the right or the left. Number one, and this is in the church, and this is in government, and this is everywhere. Number one, you can't allow criticism to undermine your leadership. People are going to criticize you, and how you respond to that criticism will define your leadership. And we've seen bad examples of, of, throughout the last several terms of presidents, we've seen bad examples of how people have handled criticism. Definitely. I think we've seen very few good examples of how to handle criticism and leadership. I'll leave it at that. But we've also seen a lack of leadership. And most recently, I think that's become prevalent. And when you have a lack of leadership or an unwillingness to deal with criticism and allow it to undermine your leadership, you don't have good leadership. And that's a problem. And it's one of the reasons why we are where we are in our nation today. In the church, these last few months to the last year and a half have shown church leadership for what it is or it isn't. Leaders being willing to step up And not only lead, but patiently help people through what is a very difficult circumstance. And when criticized, and listen, I've received my fair share of emails. Listen, if my goal was to make you all happy, I failed. There are people who have left our ministry because they weren't happy with what our church leadership team decided to do in terms of COVID. There are some people that expressed very lovingly their displeasure and moved on. And there are people who have started attending our fellowship, certainly more than than have left, simply because the church they were going to did not either take the time to patiently lead them through a difficult time or was leading them in a way that they weren't comfortable with. And there have been so many crises over the last year and a half, everything from violence in the streets 
to accusations of systematic racism in the church and in our nation, and fear and paranoia associated with the flu. A serious and contagious flu, but the flu, let's call it what it is. It's a coronavirus, a coronavirus, not the, don't give it that much credit, a coronavirus, a very serious one that claimed a lot of lives and made people very sick, and many of you weathered the storm and got through it. But you see, what happens when we allow uh, the criticism we receive as leaders to, to undermine our leadership, we fail as leaders. We, we fail to lead people, and that's what we're called to do. You're going to get the criticism. How are you going to deal with it? By the way, parents, you're going to be criticized by your kids. I know it's probably never happened to some of you guys who have children. But you may at some point in your life hear, Oh, mom, dad. You're going to hear things like that. And that's when they get to be like 20 or 25, right? You're going to find that your own flesh and blood will be critical of you. Or do you have parents? Listen, I mean, we love our parents. We love our children. We love our siblings. But we know this. They oftentimes feel very comfortable telling us that what we're doing is wrong or how we're doing it is wrong. Church leaders, we get plenty of criticism. How did Peter deal with this? Because this criticism, when I first read this, I'm like, this is a guy who can call fire from heaven. This is a guy who could say, you're dead and you die. And you know something? He patiently explained everything to them precisely as it happened. First point, leaders must be willing to patiently explain themselves and their decisions to the change resistant. I've written many emails over the last year and a half explaining to people how we're doing. Early on, if you were signed up for alerts on our website, you know I, I sent out, you know, pages of this is what we're doing. And it would change. Like first it started with, you know, this, and then it changed to that because we didn't know what we were doing. Following the guidance of people who didn't know what they were doing, we didn't know what we were doing. And then at a certain point we figured out, you know what, we can't wait for the world to tell us what to do. We have to follow what the Spirit is leading us to do. And we got through it, but you saw there was a lot of communication. There was even stuff up on the website. And over time... We just patiently explained to you guys what we were doing related to COVID. Not everyone liked it, but we patiently took the time to explain our decisions. That's what Peter did. I admire him so much for this because I can tell you as a church leader, it is the easiest thing in the world to not be patient with people that question your leadership. It is really easy to blast them. I think it was uh, Ben Martino who said it this way, you know, he probably got it from somebody else, but he shared with me that we're most dangerous when we're right. And I think there's such truth to that. Being right oftentimes will fill us with pride and allow us the quote-unquote freedom to speak our mind and to do so impatiently. But Peter explained himself and his decisions to do what he did to the change-resistant individuals that criticized him, criticized him, and he did it patiently. He took the time to do it. That's number one. Number two, leaders must be able, able to defend their actions without becoming defensive. You must be able to defend your actions without becoming defensive. 
So someone sort of gets in your face and starts questioning your decisions. If, excuse me, if you take a defensive posture, it's over. That's hard, guys. That's, that's difficult to not become defensive. You, you are up praying for three hours in the morning and God has directed you, this is what we're going to do. And the first thing that happens is a group of people decide to let you know they think that you're nuts. How do you not become defensive? Well, when the Spirit is leading you, you're not only patient, you're not defensive. Number three. Leaders must be able to enlist others around them to help promote accountability and change. See, you can't unilaterally make decisions. You have to bring in the people you're working with and ask them, what do you think? This is what the Lord is sharing with me. What is the Lord sharing with you? How do you feel about this? I I wish I had a dollar for every conversation I had in the last year and a half with our leaders about masks, hand sanitizer, children's ministry, Social distancing. Listen, we talked about these things constantly. Without being impatient, without being defensive, we talked about them amongst ourselves and with many around the church, trying to enlist them to to promote accountability, but also change. How are we going to do things? And I'm just using more an application of how we've dealt with some things over the last year, but this applies to all things. Do you enlist others or do you say, "Just, just listen to me? Why? Because I said so. Because that's not what Peter did. He enlisted those around him to promote accountability and change. And it's what brought about change. Fourth, this is a tough one. Leaders must be willing to speak the truth. You got to speak the truth in love, but you got to speak the truth. And one of the things I've seen, many churches are going through financial crises now, and people are leaving in droves simply because the leadership wouldn't tell the truth about things. They wouldn't speak the truth. They just sort of followed the woke line of thinking and did what people told them they should do, never stopping to think, is this true? And, and there's other things. How about this? The truth about sexual sin. Are, are we willing to speak the truth about what God's word says? You have to be willing to speak the truth. Peter couldn't say, oh, you guys, you got it wrong. You weren't there. You don't know what happened. Or, well, you know, I don't really want to talk about it. I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm still praying about it. No, he spoke the truth. This is what happened. He told the truth. That is a commodity in today's church. Pastors and leaders who are willing to speak the truth. Wow. We haven't seen much of that in our world, have we? How about this? Number five, leaders must be willing to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you have to make a decision... Between a church vote and the leading of the Spirit, follow the leading of the Spirit. Because there is no church without Him. Many a pastor, many a leader has had to leave a church because the Spirit was leading and the church wouldn't go. So be it. You'll land on your feet. You'll be where God has called you to be. God will find a group of people for you to lead that want to follow His leading. But so many pastors say, well, I, you know, I'd love to say something. I know you're right, but if I say something, I'll lose my job. Well, you'll then, then lose your job. It's probably not where God has you to be. Six, leaders must be able to teach the word of God. You see, one of the reasons that I stay out of trouble is I don't necessarily talk about things outside the word of God. Today, I'm making application based on experience. But that, that's not the point of the message. The, the point of the message is applying the word of God 
And so I'm teaching the word of God and applying it to my own heart and to our lives so that we can understand the word of God. But it's not important whether you side with me politically or whether you agree with masks or vaccines. That's irrelevant. What's important is that you receive from the word of God and it's not going to happen unless I teach the word of God. Finally, leaders must be willing to submit to God's will. What is God's will for your life and what is God's will for the church? Well, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The scripture tells us definitively in Peter's writings. So God's will is to reach a world with the gospel. How are we going to do that if we close our doors? You see, it's very important that we stick with the Spirit's leading and God's will. I know you can come up with a hundred reasons for why that's not a good idea. And you can come up with 200 reasons for why it is. That's not important. What's important is that you're following the Spirit's leading. So as a church leader, that is our calling. That's what Peter did. He recounted the vision from the Lord that he had received while praying in Joppa. He went through it all. How he had become hungry while the midday meal was being prepared. And he saw this vision of a large sheet or sail being let down from heaven. And how it contained all these unclean animals, reptiles and birds, things he would never eat. But then the voice directed him to get up, kill and eat those unclean creatures to satisfy his hunger. We read about this. But he was disgusted. He refused to eat anything impure or unclean in keeping with the Jewish law. But something changed. He changed. Because he heard a voice rebuke him for calling anything impure that God has made clean. And notice he saw this vision three times. He still refused to eat anything impure or unclean. And then God had to change his heart. And we saw this again, a recap of what Peter said and what we saw over the last few weeks. He recounted how these three men show up, Gentiles. They arrive at the house in Joppa after, just right after he received the vision. He's still wondering about the meaning of the vision. And the messengers from Caesarea find the house and they inquire if Peter's there. Well, Peter then recounted to these Jews in Jerusalem how the Spirit spoke to him. So he received the vision, then the Spirit speaks to him while he's still thinking about the vision. And the Spirit told him, look, these three men are looking for you. You need to go downstairs and you need to meet with them. And don't have any concerns about traveling with them. I sent them. What was Peter supposed to do? Oh, I don't know. We need to take a church vote. I don't think the board is going to like this very much. Now, there's room for accountability, but God supersedes church accountability. Can I say that? Well, then he recounted how he and six others, I love that he throws them under the bus, six others traveled with these Gentiles to their master's home. It wasn't just me. These six Jewish disciples from Joppa were present. They were there. They saw. He had witnesses. They had returned with Peter to Jerusalem. And then they arrived in Caesarea. They entered the home of Cornelius the centurion. He gathered together all of his friends, family, everyone. They were all expecting Peter to come. And this large gathering of people were there. And he says, why have you invited me here? And then we saw last week, Cornelius and his whole household were saved. Because you see, Cornelius shared with the whole group how he had received a vision of the holy angel while he was praying. How the angel appeared to him. A Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile, as a man in shining clothes, called him by name, commended him for his faithfulness in prayer and giving. And then the angel directed him to send messengers to Joppa to bring Peter to Caesarea. What did Cornelius do? He did that. He obeyed. The angel told him that Peter would bring a message of salvation to 
him and his household, which he promptly did. And so Peter recounted how the Holy Spirit baptized all those who heard Peter's message of salvation. He preached the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He taught the word of God to Gentiles. This was breaking with tradition. And then the Spirit came upon the Gentiles as they heard the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. This was a God thing, as we saw. And so the Gentiles are speaking in tongues and praising God, just like the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And Peter let them know all of that. That's what happened. But Peter concluded that God had saved these Gentiles and baptized them with the Holy Spirit. What other conclusion could he come to? And he told them, and he tells us, that he remembered what Jesus had taught them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to remember what Jesus had taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, John had baptized with water for the repentance of sins. But John had promised that Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you'll probably remember that Jesus had breathed on them in John's Gospel, chapter 20, and they received the Holy Spirit. But then later, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And this is why, as charismatics, that is, those that believe in the gifts of the Spirit, we believe that the Holy Spirit had filled the disciples with the Holy Spirit, that they might be used of God, but that they needed a greater empowering of the Holy Spirit Though the Spirit had been living with them, he was now in them, but he needed to come upon them, different Greek words. They needed the power within their lives, living within them to empower them for God's call. That happened on the day of Pentecost for the Jews. It happened at Cornelius' house for the Gentiles. That's the point. Because you see, the Lord had promised to pour out his Spirit, his Holy Spirit on all Israel in the last days. But now... Not only the 120 disciples and others were baptized with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, Jewish believers were baptized with the Holy Spirit as they put their faith in Jesus. Samaritan believers had been baptized with the Holy Spirit as they put their faith in Jesus. And now uncircumcised Gentiles had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, he refused to oppose God, the Holy Spirit, who had clearly baptized them. He gave them the same gift, he says. The same gift that he had given to the Jews. Why? To confirm that they were saved. They needed this confirmation because it's kind of a radical move by the Spirit. By the way, God will do some pretty radical things if you're willing to do them in your life. Again, not things that are outside of God's word or his direction. But if you really want to see God move in your life, say these words, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, use me. I make myself available to you however you want to work in my life. That's what Peter did, reluctantly, but he did do it, and now he's being called on the carpet for it. And through patient, I would say, spiritually gifted, with the gift of leadership, Peter patiently explains all of these things, as we've seen. You know, Jews and Gentiles continue to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit today. And yet there are many Christians who are uncomfortable with it and say it doesn't happen anymore. So I guess people will criticize spirit-led leadership no matter what. They're uncomfortable with it. Well, tongues aren't for today. Healings aren't for today. Miracles aren't for today. Why? Because I'm uncomfortable with it. And so we don't see all that many miracles. We don't hear all that much speaking in tongues. Nor do we see that much in the way of healing. Why? I wonder why. Could it be? that most of the church is just uncomfortable with it and therefore we don't see enough of it? I don't know. You can answer that question. But we get to verse 18, and as we close, I just want to say this, 
This is amazing. This is a work of God. And this is the one, of, one of the ways you'll know it's a work of God is when you do what God is leading you to do, when you follow the Spirit's leading, when you submit and you patiently explain what God is calling you to do and has called you to, done, uh, to, to have done, you will see the results that only God's Spirit can bring. An example today would be that our church is full. An example today would be that God has kept us, for the most part, healthy. Many of you have dealt with this, but thank God, I say thank God, and ask for his continued mercy and blessing. We haven't had any super spreader event here over the last year and a half. Now, is that because we're so good at what we do? Like, you know, we have some special anointing that keeps us healthy? No, because many of you, if not most of you, have dealt with this flu, and, 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 and you've gotten better, thank God. Some of you have had a worse time of it, and, and that's that's... Unfortunate, but all that being said, understand something. We haven't had that super spreader event, and I'm not superstitious, so I don't believe by saying it somehow it's going to happen. It's not like we're at a Mets game or something. (laughs) So here's what I know I, I know that God is able to lead us, and if He leads us, then He'll protect us. I need you, all of you, to think about what I just said. Not just here in this church, but in your life. If you're following God's leading, then you're under God's protection. Oh, but something bad can, something bad happens every day. Come on, bad things happen to good people, to godly people. But what's important is, are you following God's leading? How will you know? The results will speak for themselves. You know, I've spoken to a number of different pastors and ministries who have taken the same approach that we have as a church. And just follow the Spirit's leading. And that might be different for different churches. They're all thriving. They all are flush with cash. They have everything they need to pay the bills. They're able to help others. The ministries are full. The churches are full. People are content. People are blessed. Not everybody likes it, but so what? The point I'm trying to make is the results will speak for themselves. Look at what happens. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, when they heard this, that's all of those Jewish people who were criticizing Peter. When they had heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. There are the results. The Jewish believers embraced the truth that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Peter's explanation convinced these Jewish believers that the Gentiles could be saved through repentance. It's God's work. They dropped their objection to Peter's association with uncircumcised Gentiles, all through an explanation. They even accepted that Peter had stayed in a Gentile home and ate Gentile food. They praised God that he had chosen to show his grace to the Gentiles all because of good and godly leadership. The Jewish believers now understood that Gentiles did not need to become Jews in order to be saved. That's what God was doing at that point in the church. It was not unlawful for Jews to associate with Gentiles or to visit them. God had shown all of them that they should not call any man or woman impure or unclean. And their submission to God's will was the direct result of Peter's good and godly leadership. That's something to strive for, as I ask the worship team to come up. Sadly, there were some believers among the Pharisees, the more legalistic in the church, that later refused to embrace this truth. 
Oh, there's always the change-resistant. They were called the Judaizers. They frequently harassed and persecuted Paul the Apostle, as we'll see we go through the book of Acts. But I got a question for you as we close. Ask yourself this question. Is there anyone, anyone that you would exclude from receiving the word of God? Is there any line you won't cross if the Spirit leads you? Because if there is a group of people you're unwilling to minister to, or there's a limit to your willingness to be used by God, you could be found to be opposing him. It's not a good look. It's not a good place to be. Remain flexible as the Spirit leads you. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work you did in and through Peter's life and how you used Peter to bring about change in the body of Christ. May you use all of us likewise. May we be open to your leading and your direction as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, how you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, how he rose again on the third day, and how he promised to come again to judge the living and the dead. May we share the the gospel of grace by putting our faith in you and repenting of our sins, we can receive forgiveness of sins. Not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but each and every one of us as we submit to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.